Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. Let me begin reading in verse number 30, John chapter 8. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How saith thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I send you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. For a few moments today, I want to talk to you about truth's limitations. The Lord bless you may be seated. Before I begin today, let me say what an incredible honor it is to be here. It's always good to be home. And it's really good to see that we can have church And that we can have church in our new building. There have been many obstacles that we have fought through this process. Murphy's Law has been alive and well. We have proved it on a daily basis. Everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. But we have survived. So, uh, And it's an honor to be here. It's been an honor to work with several of the young men around this church. I forget my age a lot of time because my brain is not old. My body is, but my brain's not old. And it's, it's been such an honor to work with them. Brother Malachi, what an incredible young man. Brother Anthony. Um, I uh, have enjoyed such incredible times of fellowship with them. Uh, Brother McCarthy's two boys both have worked here at some time during this, and it's been an honor to be with all of them. It's been an honor to work with my nephew. He gave me a pair of socks yesterday that has a chicken on it. And you'd have to have been here to understand. My dad had a saying when he fixed something and it fit, that it fit like socks on a rooster. <laughs> and we have used that. You got to laugh sometimes because it just could drive you nuts if you didn't, so. It's Brother Sean has been here as well. It's been an honor to work with him. And if I forgot somebody, I'm sorry. I'm an old man, okay? That part of my... Today, I feel very impressed to, to just uh, uh, talk to you for a few moments about something I see as a prevalent issue as I travel America and the world. 
There is no greater experience than the one you and I have been privileged to enjoy. There is nothing greater than receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and becoming a child of God. There is nothing more powerful than that experience. Paul let us know in the book of Hebrews that that experience gives you all the evidence necessary to validate everything in the Word of God. Because it's that Word made flesh that becomes part of my life. When I receive the Holy Ghost, you can't tell me I can't have it anymore. And you can't tell me it's not for me. And you can't tell me it's not real. And you can't tell me that, that it was only for the apostles. And, and all those things they would like to say about receiving the Holy Ghost, you discover is not true because you've been given evidence that produces a verdict. And that evidence is the Spirit of the Lord moving on us and in us and through us. And, and He speaking through us in a language that we never learned. But I've also noticed as I've traveled that the world is living in fear. That fear that you experience around you on a daily basis is very easy to assume into our own lives. That fear starts showing up. We've experienced it for almost seven or eight months now as they've terrified us with news. We quit writing stories about good things people were doing and all of the good things you see people doing for each other. And, and all that's focused on is things that cause us fear and panic. And as a result, we start assuming their thought process and we start thinking like that's true. Now, the, the songs that we sing often prove what I'm saying today because we do know that there is nothing God can't do. He can't do all things. But I'm here to tell you today, there's some things he won't do. Just because he has the power to do it doesn't mean he's going to do it. When I received the Holy Ghost, the relationship I get to enjoy is not him becoming my puppet and me telling him what I want him to do and me convincing him that this is what I need in my life and, and, and he's got to do it because I've asked for it. When I become a child of God, it's me serving him, not him serving me. I remember being in several nations of the world that, that, that I discovered when I got there that you start talking to people of that world that are that nation that's, that's never experienced Christianity and they don't understand anything about Jesus. When you start sharing the gospel with them, one of the first questions they ask you is what can your religion do for me? What are the benefits I get? How's, how's your God going to, what's he going to do to make my life better? 
And it's what I get out of this and what God's going to do for me. We've got it backwards. The reason Pentecostals today can't enjoy their relationship with God is they've lost their joy. When we used to come together, there was a lot of joyfulness. But, but because of our world and this junk that's around us, it's starting to affect the way we think and the way we feel. This passage of Scripture that I've read, I, I, I've, I've preached from many times through the years, but every time I read it, I see a different part of it that I didn't see before because there's so many revelations in the writings of John that it's just very difficult to see all of them. And the more you read it, the more of them you understand. And, and, and the, Jesus has been in the temple. He's, he was there the day before and they attack him and, and he argued with them and they had discussions and every man there went to their home. He didn't have a home to go to, so he leaves and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and spends the night there in prayer break of day goes back to the temple and knowing that they're going to bring a woman caught in the act of adultery knowing that he's going to have to deal with this issue he arrives early in the morning and he goes back to the temple how, how does he know he's going to do that because he's God and there was never a moment in the life of Jesus Christ that he didn't know what was happening as God he's already in tomorrow before tomorrow gets there so he knew all men's heart he knew what they were planning he knew why they were doing it, and so he defined where it happened. And he, brought, he went back to the temple, and he forced them to bring that woman to the house of God and desecrate it just so they could attack him. He writes on the ground. They leave, and the crowd that was there to start with stays. And, and he starts talking to them, and he starts teaching them. And John says, many believed as a result of what he had to say. Many believed. However, their belief didn't last a long time because all he had to say was, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the instant he said it, all the believers turned on him. And they went from believing to saying, wait a minute. We're Abraham's kids. We have never been slaves to anybody. He could have reminded them they spent 400 years in Egypt. He could have reminded them they spent 70 years in Babylon. Or he could have reminded them they'd spent the last 400 years under the Greeks and Romans. But they're no man's servant. No matter how much truth you know, if you don't embrace it, it will be no benefit. It doesn't matter if you have the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized in his name. It doesn't matter what you think you have. If you don't believe what you have, then you will not be controlled by your experience you're going to be controlled by everything else. And here's where the problem rises. When you go down in water in, in his name and baptism, Paul says there's a circumcision takes place. All the sin of your life is cut off. 
and it stays in that water. And when you come up out of that water, you have been freed from every sin that has been committed against you. So from that day, there is no record of any sin you have committed. Now, if by chance you've sinned since you got out of the water, all you had to do was repent, and it got buried in the water as well because all you do is ask for forgiveness, and he puts his blood over your life, and that record is gone. But how many people do you hear talking about how the devil drugged their past up and the devil's talking to them about yesterday and the devil did this and the devil's done that and he's always reminding them of things that are bad. How many people have you heard talk about that? How often do we say those things? If there's no record, where does he get it to drag up? See, there, there's not a record of one thing I've done in my life that I've repented of. It does not exist. So Satan can't drag yesterday up. He can't remind me of my failures. He can't remind me of my mistakes because he has no resources to do so. If he has no resources, then his power is incredibly limited. And that's why you hear me say on a regular basis, the devil's not going to send you hell because he don't have the power to do so. If I wind up in hell, it's not going to be because Satan caused me to go there. It's going to be because I didn't take ownership of my life and I didn't take control of my life and I didn't take over the resources of my life and change. See, we... America has gotten to this place where the majority of people here think everybody owes them something. And you need to give me it. It's, it's mine. It belongs. You owe me. So we bring that mentality right here. And we think God owes us. I don't care what words of songs say. God, under no circumstances, will ever violate your will. God will never make you do anything. He's not going to make you pray. He's not going to make you fast. He's not going to make you read the Bible. He's not going to make you change your behavior or stop what you're doing. If you change, it's because you take authority over your life and you declare enough is enough. I refuse to live my life like this. I will not be controlled. I will take control of my life. And if I have to fast until I die of fasting, I will control this flesh because that's how you control it. The older I get, I'm about to decide I'm not allowed to drive no more because I'm not going to go to heaven if I keep driving. <laughs> the selfish, self-centered attitudes of Americans, you just pull out your driveway and they show up instantly. Everybody's got to get there before you. They don't care if they cut you off. They look like they don't even see you sitting there and... They,
you live in this world that cares about nobody but me. And that's the prophecy of the end of time. In the last days, Paul said, in the last days, men shall be lovers of themselves. And we care more about us and our opinion and our, our, our thoughts than anybody else. Abraham Lincoln coined one of the greatest phrases ever coined, and it's still alive today. And that statement he made, it's better to be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt is alive and active. Oh, you don't open your mouth anymore. You just operate your thumbs. (laughs) You don't have to say it anymore. Just get your thumbs working. Do the clickety-click stuff. We, We think God owes me. God don't owe me anything. God freed me from a bunch of junk. I owe God my life. Because he found me when I was in a pit and I was on my way to destruction. He found me in my worthless state and chose to free me. So I owe him everything. He don't owe me nothing. As that old man said that was being burned in a stake by the name of Polycarp, those skin worms are those... Though you burn me at this stake, he's never in my life let me down or betrayed me, and I can't betray him now. I will never say Caesar's Lord because he's the only Lord of my life. As Job said, those skin worms destroy this body, yet will I trust him. It doesn't matter what happens to this body it's just another event in life. It's not declaring that God doesn't know where I'm at or what's going on in my life. It's just life. Folks, if there's anybody who could com- com- complain about life, I think I have the right to do so. I've been struck by lightning at church. At church. Hit by an 18-wheeler, it should have killed me. 18 surgeries, most of them for accidents I didn't do. Somebody else did them to me. But it's life. I remember waking out of an accident that they had to put my hand back together because part of it was laid on the ground. But I wake up the next morning recovering, and I hear a preacher friend say, to my wife, James's guardian angel wants a reassignment. <laughs> so I just act like I was asleep. I didn't want nothing to do with that conversation. You, you think people just go around hurting themselves on purpose? I'm not sadomasochistic, and I, I don't like pain. It hurts. Lightning hurts. I haven't been struck twice. That's a rumor. One time's all it takes, you'll stay indoors when the storm comes. You're not stupid enough to go back out when it's lightning after it happens once. I don't play golf in the storm. I don't go fishing in the storm. If storm's coming, I stay home. 
But that's life. So we can have the Holy Ghost and have the greatest experience, but we can let life define us instead of God defining us. And unfortunately today, I would say that the majority of Pentecostals are defined by life and not by God. You know how I know you're defined by life and God, not God? Because you let life take your smile away. You let life take your laughter away. You let life take your joy away. You let circumstances control you instead of letting God control you. You let life define who you are. And it doesn't matter what you believe. Your belief can change in an instant moment when he contradicts you and makes you think, wait a minute, I might be a slave to something. Now, if there is no record of my past, why am I tormented by it? Because there still is a record in there. Where's that record located? Between your ears. And the only thing that has access to that record is your flesh. It is your flesh that says you're worthless. It is your flesh. It's not a devil saying you're, you're worthless. You, have, you can't do anything right. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're just a mistake. It's your flesh that's defining you. It is not God that's defining you because God has never said oops. God has never made a mistake. Whatever God does, he does correctly. And God doesn't make mistakes. So if God made a decision at the instant of my conception, you, you want a scripture about abortion? It's found in the book of Psalm 139th chapter. And it says that you wrote in your book all my members when as yet there was none of them. At the, David didn't have an electron microscope. David had no clue what took place at conception because the human seed is so tiny and, and that egg is so tiny that the human eye can't even see it. At the instant of conception, when I couldn't even be seen by man, God got a book out and he started writing every detail of my life. He wrote how long my fingers would be. He wrote how tall I would become. He wrote that at 69 and a half years of age, I'd look like this, that part of my skin would sag, and I'd be missing a whole lot of hair, and I'd have this me. He, he knew where every wart, every freckle, every mole, every butt, he knew where everyone would be, he wrote in my, his book, all my members when as yet there was none. 
then why are you letting life try to define you to look like something that God didn't make you? Why are you giving life a paintbrush and say, paint my life, make me look better because I don't know, I, I don't look good enough. See, no matter how much Holy Ghost you have, life can control your Holy Ghost and your truth and you'll start believing what you hear between your ears than what you hear God speaking into your life. You'll start listening to what your, 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 your words are saying to you and you'll think I'm worthless, I'm broke, I'm defective, I'm stupid, I'm dumb. See, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. But we've decided that the Bible's not important anymore. So we have the right to change what it says so it doesn't say what it said. So we're going to let the world influence us to a place that we're going to stop believing His Word. Remember what Jesus said. Here's what's going to set you apart. You're going to Continue in my word. You're going you're gonna to continue in my word. And when you continue in my word, the truth will liberate you. The truth is trying to tell you on a regular basis you're better than that, you're not broke. You're not stupid. You're not dumb. You're not a mistake. You're not worthless. You're not a has-been. Life says, you just did it again. Flesh says, oh, you think you're so spiritual, but you keep making the same mistake over and over again. But see, I discovered I, I can control that voice. You don't know how to control that voice? It's real simple. Starve it. You start fasting. Because medical science says that takes control of that part of the brain faster than anything else you do. So you just start fasting a little bit and that voice is going to shut up because it likes food more than it likes to argue with you about who you are. So if as long as you keep Fasting in your life. Those voices are not going to be there. Now I understand some of those things are hard to overcome. I've heard stories I wish I hadn't heard. I've been asked many times, why don't you write a book? The biggest reason is I, I don't want to go back and have to think about some of the stuff I've heard again. It was terrible enough to deal with it when I heard the first time, much less trying to bring it back up and hear it again. I'm amazed at how evil people who go to church can actually be. I'm amazed at how we can say we have the Holy Ghost and yet still do really, really bad things to people. Did the truth not free us? See, truth has limitations. And the limitations is what you put on it. When you box truth up and don't let truth operate, then there won't be one wall in your life come down. He can't tear down no Jericho. He's not going to tear nothing up in your life until you recognize and ask, okay, Jesus, 
I need you to put winds in my lips so I can blow the horn to bring those walls down. Because you're not going to tear those walls down and you're not going to tear my heart down and you're not going to change my heart. I'm going to change my heart because I'm the one who caused it to be the way it is. We, we have to understand that God gave us the greatest gift. I shared that with you several months ago that you could ever get, and that's the Holy Ghost. That's his ability to pray through you and pray things you don't even comprehend that's actually happened when you let his spirit pray through you. And, and you respond and let the Holy Ghost pray, and you pray in the Holy Ghost. It causes incredible things to happen. But let me, let me tell you why. And I think I've shared this with you before, but the Lord took me back here this morning, so I, maybe you didn't listen. When you go down in water, He forgives every sin you committed. But He don't forgive one sin committed against you. I need to say that again because I don't think you understood what I just said. Every sin you participated in is buried in that water. But when you come up out of that water, the sins committed against you are still attached to you. Why? Because God can't forgive for you. See, it's easy to prove there can only be one God that a trinity cannot exist. You don't even have to be a scholar to do that. All you got to do is think. I got a son. His name's Anthony. It's actually James Anthony. If someone hurts me really bad, now I think my son loves me. We have conversations. You know, we enjoy being around each other. But if someone hurts me really bad, I'll pick up my phone and call Hey, Anthony. So-and-so hurt me really bad. Can you please forgive them for me? A son cannot forgive for a father. The only person who has the power to forgive is the injured party. So God is the injured party of your sin, but you're the injured party of the sins against you. So God first shows you how to do it by taking all your sin off and leaving it in the water. Then he says, all right, now it's your time to start a journey. And you're going to have to go to every one of these people that have hurt you. And if you'll let me, I'll bring them up. I'll bring them out. I'll, I'll stir your memory up. I'll cause you to go back and remember who said what, who did what, where and when. And, and I'll let you bury them in the water just like I buried the others in the water. But you're going to have to take the scalpel and you're going to have to cut it off. And the only way forgiveness actually works is not to say, "Uh, Jesus, I give it to you. Oh, we do that all the time. But you also know the Bible says, vengeance is mine. says, Lord, I will repay and when Lord brings justice, you're going to applaud God. Ooh, God's good. True forgiveness cannot happen until you say, Jesus, take your blood, call him by name, 
go to the Lamb's book of life. Erase this sin and never judge them for what they did against me. Then and only then have you buried it in the water because you just gave up all hope of revenge. You just said, Jesus, see, God let you use his blood on other people if it has to do with what they did to you. I've heard stories that are shocking. One of the most shocking stories in most people's eyes wasn't really something horrible. A young lady went to church on Friday night youth service. She's very beautiful. Her friend meets her at the door, 14, okay? And her friend starts telling her how worthless she is and she hates her and, and, and that she's done all these horrible things and, and, and just caused all kinds of things. Made, hurt her. And she cried. She went in the bathroom. She didn't go into service. She stayed in the restroom, cried the entire service. Mom come picked her up. Here's this kid with red eyes, puffy face. Mom don't say one word on the way home. She gets home, walks in the door. Dad's sitting at the dining room table, has the newspaper open. He's reading the news. And she walks in. He hears the door open, close, lowers the newspaper, and he sees something's wrong. So he says to her, Honey, what's wrong with you? And she thought that was an invitation to tell dad what happened. So she says, my friend did this. Dad, listen. When she got through, dad said, honey, you might as well remember one thing. Nobody will ever like you in life. She went upstairs and cried the rest of the night. The guy she's dating in a Pentecostal church, one of our Pentecostal young people, on first date tells her, you're ugly. Nobody here at this church is going to like you but me. And when she responded to him and he didn't like it, he just slapped her right in the face. Bust her lip. Make it bleed. Wasn't long until it became much worse. Or she didn't run from him because she believed nobody ever liked her. She got the Holy Ghost, but she believed because somebody important to her told her she's worthless, that she's not going to be any better than this. So she married him. He broke her nose. Broke her collarbone, blacked her eye on numerous occasions, had two children. About seven years into marriage, shows up one day and says, I don't love you anymore. You're not lovable. I'm going to go live with my boyfriend. And he did. And because of what was happening in America at that time, he got custody of kids. Now, you got now three messed up people. We're, we're 20 years down the road. Here's this lady shows up 
She's on antidepressants. The doctors say, I won't give her one, one more pill unless she goes talk to somebody. So she shows up, and I'm supposed to fix this. And as I listened to her that day, I, I, I heard her story. I said, you know, see, research says you're controlled by the most powerful memory you have of childhood. If you don't fix that, it's going to wreck your life. The devil didn't put that there. It's in your life. It's in your mind. You've got to get rid of it. So when I said that, she told me a story. And I said, do you understand you've been controlled by a lie? And she got so mad, she jumped up, ran out the door, and slammed it so hard she shook the whole building. The secretary of the church came in and said, what in the world did you say to her? I said, I don't know. She's mad. He said, well, that's obvious. So you, you can't stand truth. If I confront you with truth, you bow up, you get mad, it, it just shows up right here real quick. I mean, I, I don't have, see, I, I have to be careful I don't watch the audience too closely because you, you think I'm keying in on you. And that I'm telling the whole church what your problem is. Well, I'm not, but you are. Hello? Am I in Pentecostal church? We, we, we believe in shouting and running aisles? Why don't we shout and run aisles? Because we keep hearing words that says, you're worthless, you're stupid, you're dumb, can't do nothing right, you're a mistake. She keeps returning next week and entered the same way she left. She slammed that door coming in. She said, I'm mad. I don't, that's quite obvious. Why? Because you're right. I have been controlled all my life by life. So I don't care how much Holy Ghost you've got. If you haven't let truth reveal what's in your life, then you will never be any freer than you are today. And unfortunately, people live in that junk long enough they don't think they can survive without it. So they've got to have this to exist. And this is normal. So they keep living this lifestyle. God gave us the most incredible gift we could ever receive. That, that just a few moments in a prayer, I, I can tell you hundreds of stories of, of people who went into a prayer room and spent several hours in intercessory prayer and come out of that with their mind back in place. Their brains no longer scrambled by junk and, and, and chaos because they, they let the gift that God gave them operate. And when that gift started operating correctly, it changed their life. If my experience with God is a roller coaster, it's not because I have a bad experience. It's the junk between my ears that keeps tormenting me and saying things to me and, and revealing to me how worthless I am, how sorry I am, how stupid I am. I can't do anything right. I'm a mistake. I'm broken. So I spend my life trying to fix it. You, you want me to tell you, there's a, it's easy for me to, to determine whether or not you're listening to voices. All I got to do is look at you. 
Because when you spend more time on the outside than you do the inside, that says instantly there's a problem inside of here. I can't see out here, so nothing I do out here is going to change what's inside of here. If I don't have a mirror, I have no clue what I look like. So I'm going to let this define this. Not in this world I'm not. I belong to the greatest father in all the world. I belong to a father that loves his kids unconditionally. I belong to the greatest father. He's never mistreated one kid. He's always looking out for me. And his desire is that my life be healed. That I am not broken. I am not defecting. Because he declared, I have been sent to heal the brokenhearted. The purpose of the church is so broken hearts can come and be totally mended. Because the power of God in their life. Please stand, I'm through. I want to pray a prayer today that if you have the courage to pray, I want you to pray it with me. I don't, I'm not going to force you to, but if you have the courage to pray it, I want to ask you to pray it with me. Gracious Father, would you take me by the hand? Would you walk with me through the corridors of my mind? Would you take me to those doors in my mind that are tormenting me? Would you take me to those places that are things that are locked up that's causing me to not have a successful life? Would you hold my hand as I stand at that door? Would you bring your blood so that I can apply it to whoever's behind that door and I can ask you to liberate them and set them free so that they're never judged for what they did to me. You're a gentle Savior. You're not going to make me do something I don't want to do. But you will walk with me through that storm and through the valley of the shadow of death. You will walk with me. You'll hold my hand as I approach and deal with these things that torment her. Thank you for being such an incredible father. He's here today. If somebody needs to be liberated from what voice has been saying to them, this is a good opportunity for that to take place. If you can just get caught away in his spirit, and you start praying until His Spirit takes over. It knows what to say and how to deal with whatever's locked up. So if you, you'll just let the Holy Ghost flow through you today. You'll start experiencing things in your life you haven't experienced before. And there will be a healing. You'll, you'll walk out of here with your joy back, with your life back. You'll, you'll walk away today with, with what God created you to be to start with. Not a broken vessel, not damaged, not worthless but a vessel of honor, a vessel of beauty. He's here today. He, he's here today. He will minister to you today. But you've got to open the door, then you've got to let him in. He's here.